0: This recording was originally a live conversation at the Next Big Thing Brands Conference 2022.
1: Money buys you time. And whenever we speak about innovation and new ideas, usually your time to market is crucial. So I would probably not compromise on that if I have a case where I can raise money. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. A podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan.
0: Final panel for tonight before you will get some pizza, and we really do have an all-star founders panel here from the Swiss startup ecosystem. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to the three panelists that we have here today. First of all, we have Leah, CMO and co-founder at Carvolution. Very well, welcome, Leah. Then we have Flavio, the CIO and co-founder at Beekeeper. <laughs> welcome. And also Tobias, the co-founder and CEO at YAMO. We're all welcome, Tobias. <laughs> so we're basically gonna talk about how to go international and how to go big as a Swiss startup. The first question is for you, uh, Tobias. How important on a scale from 0 to 10 would you rate the importance of your brand at Yamo for your current success? Eleven. Eleven, wow, that's, that's a statement. You have to explain how you choose eleven. Um, so I don't know how
2: many of you know what uh, Yamo is all about. So we are a brand um, for kids and baby food. So we're building the next leading brand of uh, kids food. And um, kids food is something that is very, very emotional. In the end, we are talking to moms and dads, and their trust is one of the most important factors for moms and dads to actually choose a brand. So brand, in the end, for us is trust, and trust is, in the end, a long relationship equals sales.
0: And equals 11 on the scale from zero to 10. Yes. (laughs) Leah, you basically run a car subscription company with Carvolution. How important is the brand for you to actually build a successful business in Switzerland?
1: Well, I, I don't mean to compete with the safety for kids and kids' food. I think um, there it's even more crucial. But still, a car mobility is one of the highest spendings you have for a household. It's um, not something you spend on every day. So it's crucial that they have um, trust in us, in the service, in, in the quality and the promise that we give them mobility. Because uh, you're not willing to spend that kind of... Of money, if you're like, oh, is it going to be shady, or are they still going to exist in one year? And right. so, this is a bit the questions we, we had, yeah.
0: And if you have to choose a number, what's your rating?
1: Well, I would stick to the scale and say ten, <laughs> because um, if this is the exercise, yeah, definitely ten.
0: Got it. Flavio, you are with Beekeeper in the B two B enterprise or B two B space. So, that is a completely different setup than the two B2C companies that we just heard about. How important is the brand for you? Is that any less or even more important?
3: I think it's also super important for us. We are a B2B company, so we sell to our customers. However, we also B2B to C. So, um, Beekeeper is the frontline company. So, we make very simple to use, easy to use technology for frontline workers. Um, And there's 2.7 billion frontline workers in the world. So for everyone that works at the desk, there's four people working in hospitals, in restaurants, in hotels, or in factories. And we really help in their daily job. And um, yeah, our brand and our brand promises uh, be delivered through the brand. So it's super important for us.
0: So that's really surprising, right? Because one might think in a B2B environment, the brand is less important, but you also have to deal with people in the end. So... It has a very high relevance. Tobias, I want to talk about going international. You are with Yamo not only active in Switzerland, but also in Germany, in Austria, even in Spain. Was that always the goal for you to go international with Yamo from day one?
2: Yeah, actually, by now we are also in Belgium and Portugal. It's crazy! Uh, <laughs> You're even faster than my research. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was because um, we, from the beginning on, we said uh, we either go big or go home. And it's about building a next-generation brand in Europe. And Europe is not just DACH, it's really everywhere. And from there, potentially taking it to Middle East, to Far East, that's actually markets that we're looking at for the mid- and long-term future. So, yeah, to answer it in short, it was.
0: And when did he feel organizationally ready to go abroad? Was there such a thing like we first want to hit product market fit in Switzerland before we take that step, or when was the right time, and when were you really feeling the readiness to do so?
2: I'm not sure if in a startup context there is something like, I'm feeling ready. It's, it's, I think it's always being slightly or quite a bit out of your comfort zone, and um, with, with us in particular, we wanted to actually, after we launched in Switzerland in 2018, we wanted to launch in the U.K., but then Brexit happened, and then we kind of ditched that whole plan. And then we said, okay, well, what market next? Oh, Germany, same language. And uh, in retrospect, if I would not do that anymore, because Germany is, in particular, for food, not a very—it's a very difficult market. Um, and but still,
0: yeah. yeah, I heard they even sue you there. They do. <laughs> <laughs> And how do you actually deal with the cultural differences? I mean, Belgium, Spain, the Dach region, that's all quite different culturally, although we're all in Europe. Is that something that you also noticed when you expanded to these countries?
2: Um, no, we did not. And actually, before we, we go abroad, we also look at, for example, how the customer sentiment is or parent sentiment towards brands is and what is relevant for them. And in the end, it's uh, unilateral. It's the love for your kid the love for doing the best for your kid. And that, I think, counts for every market in the world. And, of course, there might be some smaller differences, but I think we're not at the stage yet
0: where that really matters. Got it. Flavio, beekeeper is also available at the global scale. You are active in European, but also in the U.S. uh, countries, basically. Mm -hmm. Do you feel any difference there when it comes to entering the U.S. versus European market?
3: yeah definitely um so the us market i mean f- just from a company perspective and how we work and how we collaborate is, is it's different to go to the us than to europe just a collaboration when we went to the us we opened in san francisco our office and all of a sudden we had work colleagues in the pacific standard time 9 hours difference and so i think that was really difficult uh, while we were when we were expanding to Germany or um, Austria or the UK, um, we can uh, leverage a lot more. You know what we have in the HQ, um, the people there. Um, so I think that was for us sort of the the main difference. Um, f- from a product point of view, definitely in the US, um, we didn't have product market fit when we went there, and the same in Germany. So there's different uh, legal situations uh, in Germany. Uh, the, the, the labor laws are different, there's Betriebsrat, so it's like a labor council which has a lot to say and which we involve in our solution. And the same in, in the U.S. It's not as e- that easy to give every worker um, technology that they use on their private smartphone. Um, uh, so employers uh, were afraid that uh, um, uh, unions would sue them because they use technology on in their free time on their private smartphone. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely different for for every market.
0: These are certainly big challenges to overcome when you expand to a new market. Do you wish that you had waited for longer until you figured that out, or was that actually exactly the right thing to do? Because you said, well, we wouldn't have figured that out here from Switzerland. We just had to go and be there.
3: I think uh, we planned to go to the U.S. quite early on, but we went even more early. It was a bit opportunistic. We found there uh, our first hire, which was able to to represent and build a team there. Um, So, yeah, I think it's good to have a plan, but we took the chance uh, when it was there. I mean, opportunity sometimes is like a hair on a bald man's head. So So we grab it, we take it and run.
0: And as a Swiss startup, you know, how difficult is it these days to actually expand to the US? Because that's the dream of many. Huge market, big business there, but at the same time also full of challenges. So... How do you actually successfully do take the, the leap of faith and bring your startup company to the. US?
3: So one thing, I think is definitely do have to have the right people there. I think it helps if a founder moves to the US that w- would help a lot. We didn't do it. Um, so but I would definitely recommend uh, looking into that option. I think also attracting VCs or if you're on that, on that track, um, to, to bring in VC money, to, to have an investor in the U.S. is definitely super helpful um, to to help with the network there. Nevertheless, we started closing business in the U.S. out here from Switzerland. Um, is possible. We started closing in Canada, and with that customer reference, we expanded into the U.S. I think what's super important when going to the U.S. is that be bold and, you know, that the, the Americans, they have this law of attraction, you, you just, you know, dress like you are a million dollars or you, <laughs> you, you, you make yourself bigger than you are, right? And so when prospects go to our website, um, it's really important that, that they see it's not like two founders in a garage in Switzerland um, or in Altot, um, but it's actually, it looks like a hundred or thousand people, strong organization. I think that's a really key thing for the U.S. market.
0: Absolutely. Now, I also want to talk about the Swiss case, of course, Lea. You were founded in 2018. You grew to the largest car subscription company here in Switzerland. What does it actually take to scale in Switzerland to do a really good job here and build a sustainable business here in Switzerland?
1: Well, I guess it needs some time, right? Um, It's not that we are a one-year company. And even in Switzerland, I mean, you said you didn't feel too many cultural differences, if I think about our Romand. They are very different, so even then you need to, to think about that. But in Switzerland, I think it's everything but this crazy boldness of we are a one million whatever company. I think here it's more this, this Swissness, being down to earth, being local. I think this is what Swiss people like. And yeah, we're a consumer case, kind of. So we had to align with that and at the end cars especially, it's something people talk about. Mm -hmm. So what it means you need to deliver. Like you can't compromise on quality because people are going to talk about how bad it was and this goes faster than the good experience. So there we just had to always put the clients first and go the extra mile and yeah, also with cars, even in Switzerland, you need to solve logistics. It's an execution game. It's two tons that need to move at the right time to the right person. Tires need to be there. So it's not Switzerland sounds so small and so tiny, it's not when you do it with cars.
0: I can imagine. And even with the different languages, as you mentioned, it can feel like you're building an international company within the same country, right?
1: Exactly. And this is like we wanted to take the Swiss market all for us. So we said, yeah, we're going to do it in three languages. There is no compromise on that. So if we wanted to leave Switzerland, it couldn't be that complicated, right?
0: You already did the the exercising at home.
1: Think about it sometimes <laughs>
0: right at the same time, Switzerland is also quite a small market, right? You have renowned investors like Red Alpine etc um in in your company, so they certainly did look at the business case. but were you ever afraid or you know scared that the Swiss market might be too small for what you have to offer, and you do need to go international one day?
1: Well, I think if any one of the investors would have been scared they wouldn't be our investors today um I mean, if you look into the car market, it's 300,000 newly enrolled cars every year. It's not a small potential. And we came to the conclusion that a focus is what we need to become the one dominant player or to stay the one dominant player in Switzerland. And if you do the whole calculation, it turns out to be something highly interesting. And I guess this is why we're around where we have the investors we have today.
0: And do you even think about going international or is that something that you don't even map out on the potential roadmap?
1: Me personally? Oh, I think about so many things the whole day. So, of course, it's tempting to say, hey, let's just go a little bit across the board. I mean, it's exciting as a founder too. But I think this is then the, the consistency you need to say, hey, but the focus here is going to pay off. But yes, these discussions happen. It's important to have them to be aligned about them. But at the end, um, I think we're on the right path, staying like at home in Switzerland.
0: Is it sometimes very difficult to say no to the international path?
1: Well, it's not difficult because it makes sense to stay here. But it's still tempting to, to uh, see another country, another market, to compete with the brands there. I mean, for me, it would be exciting, but it's not a smart decision. So,
0: Got it. So I want to bring it also back to you guys to, to be us first. Before you said there was no cultural difference from or like challenge in that regard from the consumer for the customer perspective. Did you experience that from an internal perspective when you hire local employees or work with local employees that you face cultural challenges or differences there that you have to deal with?
2: Um, So far, we have not hired people outside of Switzerland. So we are all based here in Switzerland, in Zug. However, we are now a group of 40-ish people from 14 different nationalities. So we do have a lot of different backgrounds, social, uh, social backgrounds, um, people with different experiences. Um, and I think that, that mix really helps a lot when you go abroad because there is always something else on the table that somebody would bring on.
0: And how was that for you, Flavio? Because you do hire people in the US. Is that a challenge that you faced along the way?
3: So no matter in which country we are, our sort of culture, our, our, our core values, they, they are the same. Um, so I think we hire for, for cultural fit through those core values. And obviously, sort of the local adaptations of the culture, our Krakow office or our Berlin office, our Oakland office, they, they are a bit different. Um, usually there's just a few people initially. So they have ideas what they want to do. Um, they, they like to do game boarding, the engineers in, in Krakow or like board games. Um, or just other initiatives that they like to do, so I think a lot of these more local adaptations to the culture, they happen bottom-up, and usually when we we reach a certain number of employees in a location, there will be an office manager which also supports the team to to put sort of the local ceremonies and routines and, and culture, the grassroots initiatives into place there.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great best practice to, to learn from, yeah. basically. I also wonder, when you went international, were there any things that you had to find compromises that you didn't expect before? You know, I could imagine when you say, we want to open a new office, then you might need more funding, for example, so you get more diluted with your company. Just one example. But maybe you have other examples where you say, hey, these were some tough compromises that we faced when going international.
3: Yeah, difficult question. Um. I think definitely not compromise on the people I think that's really important. So if we talk about where we wouldn't compromise and maybe I can think of something where we compromised but I think like uh hiring processes or just how you hire that's really important to not you know there's just a few people there it's okay if just one people one person interviews a, a, a new new starter there I think it's important to to screen and the people well and and make sure they are fit a compromise hmm is is difficult
0: at least not a conscious compromise yeah. that's also a good sign <laughs> do you want to add anything to that to be us
1: but we don't hire internationally <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i wanted to ask you as a follow up question because you basically hire in switzerland only um you as well to be us is that more difficult for you because then you also have quite a limited talent pool, right?
1: Well, I cannot really compare it, right? But um, from what I hear and see, I think the war for talents is on fire, regardless of where you hire. So there also, we spoke about the brands before, and um, going through these four years with Carvolution, I realized how much easier hiring becomes, or recruitment, when you have a certain brand. But at the very early stage, it's tough. People don't know you. They don't trust you. They don't know if it's gonna work. How good is the product? They want to have job security and still follow a vision. So I think, and also hiring, finding really these talents is one of the, a key um, everyday thing for the founders because at the end it's them gonna execute it to a to a certain extent. And so I think hiring it's it's difficult. And we actually we have hired people from Germany. But I don't know how complicated it was at the end.
0: Okay, fair point. Mm. You mentioned this brand, the importance of the brand. Did you consciously work towards that brand by saying, hey, we have a PR strategy, we really have the brand in place that we want to build? Or, which I can imagine also happens, was it just like we have to stay long enough in the market so people start to recognize us, see us multiple times to then also have this brand reputation?
1: Well, of course, uh, I'm very focused on building a brand. It's more faced in in terms of consumers because uh, we need to sell, we need to grow. Um, But it's nice if then you realize that you became a brand that people want to work for. So it was more like a side effect. But I think we have also, for example, in our sales team, a lot of previous clients. So you start understanding those dynamics and... I think at the end, a cool brand for the consumers is also usually a cool brand to work for. Of course, you need to pay corresponding salary or compensations. But um, no, we didn't really have like, this employer branding stuff. There was no master right plan time. behind it.
0: Yeah. Fair <laughs> point. I also want to address uh, questions to all three of you. Let's start with you, Tobias. Would you prefer to scale through bootstrapping or through VC money, if you could freely choose?
2: So, uh, and, and both has the same outcome, or because then... Uh, then it's, it's easy, yeah. <laughs> <kind of>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a personal preference for either of the two? A
2: very difficult question, because I think it's it's so different. Um, of course, it would be fantastic if you could just grow a company by yourself with your own money and without um, giving away any bit of it. Of course, that's, it's I think it should be and would be everybody's dream, but... In reality, when you want to build something in a relatively short amount of time, and I think that's in the end what all startups or most startups are about, building something from zero to somewhere in a very condensed time of mu- you can't do it without. Yep. And, um, and I think it, of course, it puts a different thing to it because it's not just yourself that you're accountable to, but other people as well, mm-hmm. um, which is very, very important. And... Then again, um, I think it is also it's something you can actually be proud of that you're you're in that in that very tiny fraction of all companies in the world that is able to do that for a short period amount of time. Because in the end, a traditional VC looks at I don't know 1,000 to 3,000 cases a year. They invest in below 1%. Yeah, you're one of those below 1%. So you need to kind of make it work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we hope you're enjoying the episode if you're an entrepreneur looking to raise your first round and would like to learn more about the fundraising process check out our free fundraising masterclass with pascal koenig and sophie lamparter available on our website with videos text breakdowns and lots of free resources pascal and sophie take you through the entire fundraising journey in 10 exciting phases learn more at swisspreneur.org forward slash fundraising. Flavio, how is that for you? I mean, you obviously also have VC money.
3: Uh, Yeah, so we went uh, the route to to raise money. I think both can be good. Um, For us, it was important that we can stay master of our destiny. I think, you know, thinking about VCs or investors coming in and you giving away uh, uh, shares, Mm -hmm. um, you become less master of your destiny. I think That can only really happen when um, I think the same like you uh, recruit employees. It's important to also uh, looking for cultural fit with VCs. We actually had to turn down once in a round a a term sheet that was already signed. We were in the due diligence, but we needed to turn that down and and find a a plan B. Um, So I think that's also there important. Um, And what was the other thing? Well, um, also kind of overpromise and under I mean, that could bring you into a position where you, when you have other investors on the board, et cetera, that you're no longer, uh, or we would no longer be master of our destiny. But I, I think, so expectation management is also super important. But yeah, we, 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 we start that cult of uh, frontline, empowering frontline workers. And actually, the more people that support us, the better. Um, so we are really hep- happy to continue the journey
0: with, with investors. Great. And Leah, of course, you also have investors on board, so is that also your preferred way of doing business?
1: Well, I, I don't know yet. I haven't tried both, but uh, for Carvolution at least it was the only option, otherwise there, there would have never been any car in the street. But... Yeah I think time or money buys you time and whenever we speak about innovation and new ideas usually your time to market is crucial so I would probably not compromise on that and if I have a case where I can raise money and we like to think that it's only money when you go to a VC but it's network it's trust in your brand it's helping you on so many parts I would try to get that money and also it. I believe also it gives founders a certain confidence in, in their idea in their business when they manage to raise. And I think you need this confidence when you really want to start to sell whatever, B2C, B2B, whatever the market is. So, And I also enjoy, enjoy this process of raising rounds. So it's challenging, but then you like you think, okay, now it's done, it's signed, now it's over, and then it's actually when it starts. Because once you have the money, you have to do the best out of it. And this is when... Yeah. Then you have to deliver, right? Exactly.
0: You have to go to work. Exactly. So fundraising is, of course, only one part. It's also about hiring the right talent to then make your company go bigger and scale. If you had to choose one thing that helped you to hire and attract the best talent, what would be like your secret tip or your best practice to share?
1: Trust your gut feeling. I think um, when you find yourself being like, yeah, but um, this is the pro, this is the contra, you're already in the place, maybe it's not the right hire. Yeah. I think even more with key positions, I said before the time is crucial and usually it is, and, but if you don't feel it, you don't feel it and it's not going to change probably. So it, it sounds silly, but with hiring, if there's like this, well, yeah, maybe not, yeah. don't do it.
0: it. Is a bit like it's either hell yes or hell no? Yes. Great. Flavre, what's, from your experience, your tip to hire and attract the best talent?
3: I mean, especially in the early stages, talent didn't come to us. You mentioned that before. So uh, we needed to go out there, um, recruiting fairs, um, active prospecting on LinkedIn, writing, writing to people. I think the best people, they have a job um, and you need to look for them. We needed to look for them. Mm-hmm. I think one funny thing I did, I have a computer science background, and I was looking for a lot of engineers, um, so I started scraping all master theses in Switzerland um, and looking which, so which master theses sort of have relevance um, to, to what we are doing, and then I just started to you know, give compliment about their master theses and, <laughs> I, and uh, that I would like to get to know them, and I think their master thesis is relevant to what we are working on. Um, I hired one person like that, but it, <laughs> nevertheless, it was a lot of fun. So I think go out there, yeah. find the people. They will not
2: find you initially.
0: And also makes a very great story to tell and share. <laughs> Tobias, what is your tip to hire the best people?
2: Would you sell me that scraper thing? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would totally sign what, what Leo just uh, mentioned. I think in the end, it's the gut feel, even though I would wonder, did you have it from the early days on already? Yeah, it's because it's... it's a, Something that yeah. you really need to devolve over hundreds of people that you see. And then at some point, it takes you 10 minutes if, and you know if this is going to work out or not. Yep.
0: And, um, yeah. And In that regard also, you probably will make mistakes along the journey, right? Unfortunately, yeah. How, do you, how do you then fix them properly?
2: Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> I mean, no, it's... it's This is something that is really something that you need to learn and it's so important, especially in a country like Switzerland, I think, where usually nobody's ever fired uh, unless you kind of set the building on fire. And um, really, I mean, higher slow, fire fast. I don't know. I would say higher fast and fire fast.
0: Yeah. Both are important. Absolutely. I love all the points that the three of you just shared now and I think that's the perfect way to end on this positive note Tobias, Flavio, Lea, thank you so much for joining us today and all the best for the future of you and your companies. Thank you.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way... We can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.